0: boom what up hello bonjour and hola real leaders this is kevin edwards your host here and i am so excited you're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences what you're about to hear is going to be fresh real and loaded with inspiration guaranteed to support your impact journey so sit back enjoy the listen folks share a review afterward and always keep it real in five four three two and one and welcome everyone to this episode of the real leaders podcast i'm your host kevin edwards and joining us today folks is mike fiesel the ceo of roofmax mike thanks for being with us today
1: hey thanks for having me on kevin really appreciate it excited to be here
0: well i think you've got a really interesting background and story which you might kind of bring in viewers into maybe the origin of mike fiesel and your brother's original roofing concepts and kind of take it to where we are today
1: yeah so if we go back to you know 1985 when i got out of high school i started working with a friend of our families in the roof replacement business Uh, my brother my older brother um, we've been partners now for 35 years when he got out of high school he put himself through college working with the same friend of the family um ultimately in 1988 we started a roof replacement business uh, in columbus ohio built that into be one of the it was a household name in columbus and one of the more successful companies in the country um saw a lot of changes in the roofing industry um over that time my brother and i were very involved not just for the at the company level but within the industry itself you know i wrote for roofing contractor magazine i had a monthly column Uh, My brother and I helped uh, create the first certified contractor program for GAF. We sat on their National Advisory Council. GAF is the largest and oldest roofing manufacturer in the country. Um, I I co founded Rupert Success International, which was like a university for contractors for roofing contractors, which is still in existence today. Um, So we were really inside the industry um, and saw these changes that had happened all the way till finally in 2013 we decided to sell our roofing replacement company, Feasal Roofing, which is still in existence today, um, and go down this path of roofing sustainability. What happened, Kevin, was back in the early 2000s, uh, oil the process of refining oil changed considerably, and the byproduct of refining oil or making gasoline is asphalt. And of course, it's used for roofs and roads. And the byproduct was about five percent. It was about five percent asphalt produced from refining oil. And and uh it dropped with a, a new piece of technology called a coker, it's a billion-dollar piece of equipment. From what I understand, it dropped to two and a half to three percent byproduct. Well that caused asphalt pricing to skyrocket in that time frame, roofing materials tripled in price. In a very few short years, roofing materials tripled in price. At the same time that they were tripling in price, the manufacturer started removing the asphalt from the asphalt shingle, to the point where in the early 2000s, a 30-year shingle, a 30-year warranted guarantee from a manufacturer weighed about 320 pounds per 10 by 10 area, square 100 square feet fast forward to to today and that shingle is sold as a 50-year product and it weighs about 220 to 230 pounds roughly per square so a third of the weight was removed the warranties were pushed up and and really you had the the perfect storm for the roofing industry and there's some other things we'll, we'll discuss on the labor side on the contractor side so all of a sudden we started seeing product that used to last for 30 years, that was failing in as little as 20 years in Northern markets and 15 years in Southern markets. Like right now, as we speak, uh, the hurricane is, is entering Florida down in, in Fort Myers and you know, hope everybody's safe. We've got a lot of roofing, a lot of RoofMax max dealers and one specifically I spoke with before it hit in Fort Myers. I mean, they're getting hit by a category five, all of those homes and properties are exposed, and if you're a property owner and you think you had a 50-year roof put on 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you think you're safe, are you? Because we know these roofs are failing at very high rate at 10 and 15 years. Without asphalt, with less asphalt means those shingles dry out and become brittle quicker. They blow off in the wind, they crack, they snap off, they leak. So roofs fail for the same reason you get a pothole in the road. The oil dries up, they can't contract and expand, they're less waterproof, and they start to break apart. You get a pothole, you replace a road, you resurface a road. It's what you do with a roof or what you did with the roof a roof before Roofmax.
0: So how did you come up with a chemical solution to mitigate this so that Oil isn't a problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So when we sold our company in 13, we started a company called Roof Revivers. So as that name implies, how do we revive roofs? Um, Literally came across on about the 17th page of a Google search, this old patent that sat on the shelf for years, and it intrigued me. So I did some research and tracked down the the people that own that technology at the time. There was only a few years left on that warranty. Got my hands on some product, put it on some shingles and my brother and I were just blown away right, at what it did. It really did restore the flexibility back to the shingle. Um, you know, we've passed flexibility testing on 20 year old roofs uh, that passes the same flexibility testing as a brand new shingle. There are certain ASTM testing, it's called ASTM testing that's required um, to sell that product into the market. And so when we saw what it did, we realized that we had something pretty special. So then we did a lot of due diligence, right? Would they overspray, ruin paint on a vehicle? What would it stain? You know, did it stay in the shingle for a long period of time, you know, at least a year, how long would it stay in the shingle? So, in the process of all of that, we started then selling this product. Um, It was called at the time shingle reviver because the company was roof revivers and it worked. Customers liked it. We saw that there was a business model to be created here, a new industry we felt could be created. And um, so we went in and did a licensing agreement for the remaining few years of that warranty or of that patent. We partnered with the Soybean Association. Um, Our product is the, the base uh, component in our product is called soy methyl ester and soy methyl ester is what is ironically used in biodiesel
0: mm.
1: biodiesel is a plant-based gasoline shingles are a byproduct or part of it the asphalt is a byproduct of a refining oil right. gas to make gasoline and so the chemical compound it's bio-based it's what's called, not just a renewable, or a rapid renewable, because it's every year you have crop coming out of the ground. And so we did a partnership with the Soybean Association, who we're still partners with today, um, to create even a generation two product, which will be on the market, probably first quarter of next year, that doesn't only re-soften the asphalt, bring, the, bring that asphalt back to life, but also to remove all of the black streaking um, which you get in about 80% of the country. You get all of the black algae streaking on the roof. And part of the reason you're getting the black streaking on the roof is because of the watering down process of the asphalt. They're putting crushed limestone in the shingles to give it more weight. And that crushed limestone, um, the algae spores and the dirt, Gloyocapsimaga, that magma, it attaches to the shingle feeds on the crust limestone and then on the northern slopes you get dew in the morning and that's the water source and then you get black streaks growing on the roof so um so we wanted to create a generation two product that could not just protect a roof and strengthen a roof and extend its life but also beautify the roof because you have the aesthetic issues you know many times people paint their home strictly for aesthetics not because the paint is peeling off right and um and so anyway it's just been this evolution we hard launched the company back in 2017. We soft launched in 17. We hard-launched the business model in 2018, um, September of 2018. And we sell our product through dealerships. Dealership ships, a dealership model is similar to a franchise model, uh, very similar to a franchise model. So we have 280 some dealers across the US. We're adding new dealers every week. And then we, we go out and we do a lot of the marketing, of course, business support and all of that. They need to go in and do the local market education. You know, we do national TV and radio, but they do local market education. And then build their dealership so that the community actually knows that there's an option um, besides replacement.
0: Well, and that's what we want to do here today. We want to educate people on how they can make a change. Uh, but also uh, about you know an industry that doesn't get talked about a lot is the roofing industry. I mean, I feel like I just got like an MBA in a roofing in over the past ten minutes looking like, <laughs> at of how how this how this whole uh, business uh, really works. Um, and and properties and construction is contributing so much to carbon emissions. I, I want to say it's the leading leading industry behind agriculture maybe it's one one of the tops. so it's it's uh, fact check me, please but i know it's uh we've had a few uh builders in the past come on and say how big of an of a industry wide problem it is global problem that it is yes how does this impact me now as a commercial property owner um or maybe as a residential property owner i'm looking to buy a house obviously i'm asking how old is the roof uh i live in yep. tampa florida how does this impact me and also you know i guess are there any um Price comparisons that I would go up against. I mean, tell me a little bit more sure. about me as a property owner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, whether it's, you know, if it's steep slope, 85% of steep slope roofing has asphalt shingles. You're uh, down in Tampa, so there's plenty of tile roofs. Um, there's also metal roofs. And those are predom- the predominant roofs that are out there um, for steep slope. A little bit of wood shake, but for the most part, asphalt shingles are 85% of the market nationwide, US and Canada. So whether you are an apartment complex, a condominium, a church, or a single family home, it's all the way the same situation. To replace a roof, today, because of COVID, roofing has gone up 30% and climbing over the last few years. Um, so now in Tampa, for example, you're going to be five to $600 Per roofing square, so let's just say five to six dollars per square foot. Roof the roofing industry speaks in squares, which is a hundred square feet. It's a ten by ten area. But for the consumer, let's just talk square foot. It's divided by hundred, right? So five to six dollars a square foot to replace an asphalt shingle roof. We're going to come in and be twenty percent of that. Mm -hmm. Each treatment will extend the life of your roof. We guarantee it to remain flexible for a period of five years post treatment. So we're giving a five-year flexibility guarantee. RoofMax doesn't give a five-year no-leak guarantee because a no-leak guarantee comes from the original contractor who installed the materials, the original shingles. Even the roofing manufacturers don't give a no-leak guarantee. The roofing manufacturers say our shingle will hold together for, five, for a period of, well, now 50 years. Okay, yet those shingles are starting to shed off the top coating or the ceramic granule coating that's the sunblock for the shingle right it's what reflects the uv rays so that asphalt doesn't dry out quicker literally at year five six seven in florida in the southern facing slopes the granules are filling up in the gutters you're getting an inch two inches of granule degranulation right the granules enough of the asphalt the oils are shedding out of the asphalt and as they shed out Originally, that roof can contract and expand, fully contract and expand, but it finally reaches a tipping point where enough oil is gone that now that roof starts to undergo stress during contraction and expansion. And I mean, contraction and expansion, it happens everywhere, but let's just use Florida for the, for the sake of the comparison. Right. Your roof is 150 degrees. It rains every day at three o'clock in Tampa. There's a thunder shower that blows through. That roof's going to go from 150, it's going to drop to a 60 degrees thermal shock rapid rapid contraction the thunderstorm blows on by the sun comes back out that roof then expands and goes thermal shock the other way and fully expands again um, back up to 150 degrees so now that roof is under stress during that contraction expansion if you don't have rain right it cools in the evening the sun goes down that roof maybe drops down to 90 degrees throughout the evening ambient temperature And then it dries back up to 150, and when the sun hits it, you know, in the afternoon the following day, more oil sheds, dries out, more of the granules shed off, which is a snowball effect. Now more exposure of the asphalt, and that 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 process just snowball effect until finally that roof has a hard time contracting and expanding, and the shingles start to crack. You get thermal cracks. A windstorm comes in, let alone a hurricane, just a windstorm and a shingle blows off. So you have millions of homes that are exposed across the country, especially in coastal areas. But, hey, Ohio gets straight line winds of 60, 70 miles an hour during a thunderstorm right? or a tornado. Um, And those roofs fail premature. You're going to have a lot of roofs blowing off in Florida right now in your market um, with 10 and 15 year old roofs and they should be holding together. And when we resaturate those roofs, and we'll be doing studies across Florida, we have tens of thousands of roofs. Um, we've done now over 70 million square feet nationwide. This product has been moved, has been treated. So we go into areas when storms happen, and we try to identify what has happened, talk to the customers, and, and we, we know the feedback. We've got all kinds of uh, footage, uh, a lot of videos on, on YouTube and on Facebook, about you know, communities where uh, Hurricane Sally hit Alabama a couple years ago, and we have a dealer in that market, and he spoke to customers, he would have conversations with customers that literally their roof was one of the older ones in the neighborhood that was treated with roof max, yet no damage or five or six shingles off and plywood showing on other roofs, roofs that were newer, roofs that weren't treated with roof max. We don't sell roof max, And say, look, put Roof Max on, so you're not going to get hurricane damage. It's simply a maintenance product, right? If you paint your home, your wood's going to last longer. If you stain your deck, your deck's going to last longer. You change the oil in your car, your your engine's going to last longer. So it's a maintenance product. But but we get stories back from you know roofs that have been hit by hail that were treated with Roof Max, no damage. They had the insurance adjuster come out, no damage all the neighbors in the neighborhood were getting their roofs replaced because they were wiped out by hail. You know, a malleable roof, a flexible roof, it's a strong roof. Newer roofs tend to not get the damage during hail and and high wind events that aged roofs do, strictly because they're brittle. We're just putting the oil back in, right? We're just putting the oil back in. So it's pretty simple.
0: It, it makes a lot of sense. It really just extending the lifetime value of these roofs uh, with a flexible solution that is taking yeah. on the the erosion of oil over time, which is going to mess up the, the contraction. I get it. I'm there. Um, we, we, especially- we were
1: very we were very surprised at the outcomes as we've
0: grown this business.
1: Sure. We weren't expecting to hear of roofs that were standing up to hurricanes or hailstorms. That wasn't ever the claim. The claim and the claim still is. I mean, I, I say it because it's true and we have documented it. And it it proves the efficacy of this product even more, and and not just our product rejuvenation as a whole. This is becoming an industry now, uh, very early stage of course, but it's becoming an industry. It's quickly disrupting the roofing industry. The manufacturers aren't excited about it. We know that um, because that changes that, they're in the business of selling product. And the roofing industry has not been, has not widely adopted us. Roofing contractors today want to replace roofs. Roofing contractors in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s did roofing repairs. They would go out and, you know, if you had a roof leak, they would say, look, we just need to caulk the chimney flashing or we need to replace that plumbing boot flashing that vents the gases from your home, but you don't need a new roof. Today, the majority of roofing companies, 90%, I'm guessing, from contractors i talk to around the country, don't do repairs. They don't tell the consumer that they don't. So if you call and say, hey, Bob, I've got a Bob's roofing. I've got a roof leak. They're going to send out that roofing salesperson, and he's going to try to convince you to replace that roof. And it's 10 years old. Maybe you don't even know it's 10 years old because you bought the home five years ago. and You don't have the paperwork. So perfect storm here for the roofing industry. and And there's a lot more debris going to the landfill than ever
0: has. No, it makes it makes a lot of sense, Mike. And, you know, where I think about just taking that a Florida example is just think about how many new home buyers are in Florida from that mass increase in migration, uh, buying properties and and asking, oh, how old is the roof? 10, 10 years. You know, if they would have had this product, they wouldn't have to worry about these extreme weather and increasing extreme weather events that are happening, not just in Florida, but really around the world. You know, this is really interesting to me, Mike, because of the sustainability aspect that this provides. Um, Banks now are are increasingly talking about potentially implementing some type of ESG reporting that will affect the loan that you will receive to build your home, uh, to get a loan on a home, uh, a property, anything like that. And so where do you see this Um, I mean, obviously, it's an external kind of force that's kind of coming along this ESG space. But do you see that as an opportunity and an advantage for um, a solution that's a standalone solution like RoofMax? No, 100 percent.
1: I mean, I've said in interviews before, I don't care which side of the fence because it's pretty divided, right? ESG, global warming. These are all buzzwords. But I don't care who you are. You can't argue the fact, which side of the aisle you're on, that if you can make something last longer and perform, why would you ever want to replace it? And especially, now I get it, maybe you want to replace your deck because you want to change the the design. Not many people want to change. People don't look at their roof. They want to know that it's good. It's out of sight, out of mind. A um, good friend of mine is one of the larger home, he's the largest home inspector in Ohio. And, um, and he... He said, Mike, when when you pull up to the home, literally people are like, How's the roof? Oh, looks good. Awesome. Let's go in and let's look at the kitchen. Let's look at the bath. They don't care about it. They just want to know that it's good because everybody knows, you know, we need a good roof over our head. But so people don't want to spend the money on a new roof. And and um, why would you ever replace it if you don't need to? So I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. Now, yes, the new ESG movement and Larry Fink and what blacks BlackRock is doing and There's this whole new movement that really COVID accelerated that. And I watched a pretty interesting interview uh, with the Council on Foreign Relations with Larry. Uh, He's done a couple of them, but the most recent one done last year. And he said, man, we just were so fearful that ESG and this whole, just the environment was going to get put on the back burner with COVID. And actually, there was a divergence in companies that were really ESG focused they performed better. I think it was like a two and a half percent Delta over your standard S and P. And you know, just your your typical company. And so now more money is finding its way into ESG. And I know they're trying to weight all of this and they want public companies to be held accountable. You know, they want them to be accountable. So not just to the, I mean, looking at a long-term time horizon, CEOs in the United States are very, very short-term oriented which makes you make a lot of bad short-term decisions to produce financial results. But we're realizing, I think today, we're a much, uh, society is starting to realize that it's long-term is the way to look at this. And And it makes for a much stronger, healthier company and a much stronger, healthier society. It's that simple. So, and the paybacks are there, the financial returns are there, if you do the right things within a company so um yeah i mean we're in a, we're in a, there's definitely a lot of change happening and there's a lot of battles and arguments and debates but you know at the end of the day to me we're sustainable for the planet we're sustainable for the wallet so we hit both sides of the aisle you don't have to be sustainable and pay money and pay more money to get roof max because you believe in trying to keep land debris out of landfills you also get to win if you believe if you believe that great If you just want to save money, great. So we really fit both sides. We're cheaper, it's cheaper to do roof max than it is to replace. And when you look at life cycle cost, which is really what you have to look at on an annual basis, it's considerably less expensive to use roof max than to replace and not do anything and just wait until it fails and then replace again. It's considerably less expensive. So now economically it makes sense, so.
0: I think creating comparisons is is what really good entrepreneurs do. And, you know, if you, you have a comparison like your product versus a traditional, you know, roof that has to get fully replaced and also comes from, you know, virgin oil uh, as well. I mean, I think, I guess, can, when given those two options, I think anyone in their right mind would probably take the latter, right, with RoofMax. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it, it makes complete sense to me. Um, but, you know, whether what aisle you're on or not, it's just helpful to be educated, to be prepared because this is already happening yes. in Europe. There are already also agencies in Canada and in the United States who are working on ESG rankings or impact finance ratings. You name it. Companies yep. out there exist and they have softwares to do this and they can dig into your financials. They can dig into your uh, supply yep. chain. So it's only a matter of time before this conversation really hits the mainstream and, and people need so, to get you know educated on this.
1: Yeah, 100%. You know, I'm real excited. Uh, The end of the month, end of October here, we're uh, tail end of September. um, I'm going to Chicago to meet with LiveCore. LiveCore is the, uh, they're owned by Blackstone. Um, They're the largest multifamily REIT, real estate investment trust in the country. Um, We're working through a company, Roof Management, who LiveCore works with. Um, Roof Management is uh, one of two of the largest roof asset management companies in the world. They do stuff over in Europe and the U.S. They work mainly with real estate investment trusts. And specifically, I'm working with uh, the gentleman who heads up their steep slope division, Jack Jenkins. And he's been talking with these organizations more and more about RoofMax and educating them over the last few years. And we're getting some traction. And then all of a sudden, live Corps is like hey we're really ready to meet with these people we love what they've got we've researched this we've done our due diligence it's, it's time to uh move to the next step right and so now i'm going for their i guess their has the a convention their annual uh meeting at in chicago so i'm going to meet with a lot of the c-suite executives talk about RoofMax. so um we have not aggressively gone after the market it takes too much time as a small organization, as we are. So we've gone to the market, consumer facing, and now the B2B stuff is starting to come. We're treating, you know, we've treated Oshkoff Resort in Wisconsin, which is a huge resort, it's a kind of historical resort. Um, we're, we're, we're hearing more and more of these projects around the country that are happening at the dealer level. Again, there's projects that happen that we don't even know that happen. Um, but. word's getting out there, but it's slow, right? It takes time. Anything that's completely different and foreign takes time to get acceptance. But we're seeing that that acceptance pick up speed. Um, And so it's very exciting for us and for our dealers. And um, 10% of all debris, construction debris, we we mentioned that earlier, 10% of all construction debris is roofing Mm. that goes to the landfill. It's a lot of waste. And it sits there for hundreds of years. Yeah. You know, it's fiberglass and asphalt and it
0: just it's not necessary and it's not stopping anytime soon right
1: no and we're able to treat you know nine out of ten roofs that are being torn off today asphalt roofs nine out of ten roofs that we go out to where somebody was told by a roofing contractor they needed it in their roof whether they did or they didn't because i don't trust 100 percent of that data but nine out of ten times when, when somebody calls us out we're able to give at least one treatment The majority of those roofs, we will be able to treat for a second time. We're now coming into a period where last year was our first round two of treatments. Hmm. You know, and those were the original roofs that we treated under the company roof revivers.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So what you're saying is after that five years of applying RoofMax on to the roof, you may be able to extend it for another five years if reapplication happens.
1: Correct. Uh, The majority of roofs that are what are perceived to be today at end of life can get two treatments is what we see. If we're catching somebody earlier in the process, we can do three treatments. We don't know, maybe four treatments. Right now we say up to three treatments because we try to be conservative, but maybe up to four treatments. We just don't know. So, But to make financial sense, right now we know that we're already treating roofs for a second time. Um, And we knew the condition of those roofs when we treated them originally. Many of those roofs, those people were told, you need a new roof. You know, so, so, um, you know, I really feel when rejuvenation is a fully mature market, um, I've said I think this is an eight to 12 billion dollar new industry on the retail side, not on the product side, but on the retail side. I think that we will, um, We can double the life of the average roof that's being ripped off at 15 years. We can take them out to 30. Mm. Um, Maybe in northern markets that are going to 20, we can take them out to 30, maybe 35. Mm. I think it changes the landscape of the roofing industry. We're not going to do this by ourselves. Um, We're waiting for a real entry into the market by a competitor. Um, and, And I think ultimately there'll be multiple competitors. And I think that's a healthy thing, right? That makes us step it up and and become more creative and make better products. Um, but I think the industry is about to change over the next couple of decades. And, you know, we're excited to be at the front of it. You know, I, I want to see Roche last 30 years again. And if we can take this weakened product, this subpar product that's being put out there today, um, it wouldn't be subpar product. The manufacturers just called it what it is, which is give it a 20 year warranty. Sure. I get that a 20 year product in Florida only lasts for 15. That's fine. Uh, But call it what it is so that the consumer can make an educated decision on their dollar. Maybe you want to spend money on a metal roof. Very expensive. But is it? If you live in Florida and now your home is at risk at 10 years because that roof between 10 and 15 years is very, you know, if there's a hurricane coming, your asset is at risk getting wiped out, especially if that roof comes off. I mean, tens of thousands of homes are going to be completely wiped out when when the lid comes off, water comes into that structure. Power is out for a month. I was I had offices down there in the 04 hurricane season. And when that home sits saturated with water for a month, it's a teardown. Mm. It's all mold. That home is destroyed. It's a complete teardown. So
0: anyway. Well, I mean, uh, curious to also know, Mike, uh, just switching gears to kind of your experience, you kind of mentioned that you're going to direct-to-consumers versus uh, B2B to start with. Share a little bit about what you learned in your earlier uh, entrepreneurial careers, which has made that shift to why you're now going uh, straight to consumers first. What what did you learn from that initial experience that you're now applying uh, to RoofMax? Well, I knew from
1: our roof replacement business that we went straight to the consumer to start with. And then we started building out B2B teams and building relationships with property management companies. We came in and educated the marketplace on who we were. And back in the 80s, 90s, really in the 90s when we started to to really grow Feasal Roofing, it was radio, TV, bus advertising, we'd wrap buses, we'd fly banners over the Ohio State football games. So the the market knew who we were, and we went at the consumer market, which brought in some commercial business, but then we built teams that went after the property management companies, that went after the the condominium complexes. And then we went and got the business, but when you walk in the door, it's a much more it's a warmer reception when you walk in and they know who you are. Right. You're a you're a household brand. So from that experience, we brought that over here to Roofmax to try to get into to HUD. You could spend decades trying to get into HUD. But you know, we're, we're trying to get into LiveCorp. But we've proven the story out. We have the efficacy, we have the stories. We've built the brand enough to where LiveCore says we like them. Now, once you get in with the LiveCore. I mean, if this, if this account comes together, and I believe that fully believe it will based on the conversations I'm having with, with my contacts, um, all of a sudden, LiveCore, it's like you're being knighted at that point, right? I mean, LiveCore said yes. Everybody else is number two and three and four and 30. Mm, right. So it's much easier to open those doors up. And so we, just, we reverse engineered it, which is how we've done on the consumer market in the past when we built out Fiesel Roofing. It just made sense it will take a year or two to just beat down the doors of B2B. So you've got to build revenue. You've got to, got to get the uh, can't run out of runway as You're building your company, right? And in the early stages, you're looking for the quickest wins and the consumer can make an instant decision. Livecore has to go through lots of red tape. It's a big organization. You know, people are going to take less risk in the early stages of new products and services with big organizations.
0: Well, so, let's, let's talk about that early stage. I mean, as an entrepreneur, what are some of the key thre- things that you're really prioritizing on, on a daily basis to make sure that you don't run out of that runway?
1: Well, fortunately, we are, we are self-sustaining. We have been from day one. My brother and I did the original investment and then said, no more money goes in. It has to stand on its own two feet. It has all along. We've taken on zero capital. Um, uh, and... It has been really just, to me, when, a lot of times when you're given a bunch of money, you come in and you get, say, venture capital, especially in a startup business. You see it happen all the time in in, in, the, in the tech industry. You go out and build a website, a $50,000 website, but you're going to change it seven more times by the end of the year. You didn't need a $50,000 website. I mean, I designed the original websites and had a graphics designer um, go in and build it but I laid out everything in the way I wanted it to look, and we were constantly testing and track test track change. So from a startup perspective, I think it's just really being wise with the dollars that you have, and you only spend as much as you earn profit to put back in. I'm not one to say, I have people that come to me and, and want me to invest in things. And if you haven't proven something out at its core and it can't stand on its own two feet, then you really don't have a model, you have a theory. So now, the, You know, Our theory was that even even up to going back to, let's say three years ago, the theory was this was gonna work and we saw it growing, but we hadn't proven it out yet. We're now going next year into year five. We've absolutely proven this model out. The company is profitable. Um, We're not wildly profitable because we're putting so much back in to build the brand. Um, Because in, in, in this business, at this point, we've proven out the efficacy. Now we have to build a brand and trust around this new thing called roof rejuvenation and specifically a company called RoofMax, And so we're pouring marketing dollars back in right now. You know, we're, we're now, which is not a lot of money when you're talking about national marketing, we're spending a quarter million dollars a month on national marketing, which is a pittance. I used to spend, you know, $50,000 a month back in the nineties in Columbus, Ohio in one market. So, but it's a start. And then plus our dealers are spending their dollar as well at the local level. And, and, and a lot of uh, feet on the street, right? One of the BNI business networking groups, going to the apartment association meetings, you know, going to, and meeting with realtors and giving uh, giving trainings to the realtors to even let the realtors know that this product exists. So it's really, it's multifaceted. It, it, it It's a lot of lift to build any business. It's very, very difficult. Very difficult, <laughs> I'll say that again, to build a new, product offering within an industry, especially an industry that has such a black eye as the roofing industry, top five complaint categories in the, we are top five in the complaint categories with the BBB nationwide. We have been since the day I entered this industry. And as far as I'm concerned, the roofing industry went from bad, it used to be poor service. Contractors didn't service the customer, high quality product, poor quality service and to now we've got poor quality product or subpar product, at least based on the warranty claims. And the service is pretty good because you do have a lot different, today roofing contractors aren't roofing contractors. They started because of the insurance industry, a storm hit their market, and these guys that were, in the sa- were sales professionals all of a sudden go make $200,000 in a year selling storm claims. And then those companies move on to the next storm and that individual then starts a roofing company and he drives through the neighborhood when a thunderstorm hits the side of town last night and he sees a shingle missing from a roof knocks on the door and says i'll get you a free roof right and that's what the roofing industry has become the majority of the contractors and there's a lot of good contractors i don't want to bash there's a lot of great roofing contractors out there but the majority are trying to get insurance claims and they're trying to sell people new roofs so now this element of repair and maintenance is gone and it just doesn't make sense right why would you be ripping off a roof that's 10 years old when that thing can get another 15 without roof max or, i'm mm-hmm. sorry another five years without roof max or maybe 10 without roof max add in roof max that's just another element right you can you can even get more life so our goal is to change the roofing industry and tra- change the way that the industry sees things and it, it, it's going to disrupt the industry at this point uh, I, I feel like it's a foregone conclusion. um Roofmax's success is creating offshoots of this, and at some point, I, I keep waiting for it to happen. We're going to see a big player enter the industry. Well, I'm sure, that's and that's going to be a be a good thing for Roofmax.
0: Definitely, and I like your approach on that. That competition is going to actually improve our business. Why are you so sure about that? And, and help me understand why you also set up your model uh, to be more like a franchise. For
1: one, you know, I'm a huge fan of Elon Musk. You know, I just, I just have so much admiration for the guy um, because he just grinds it out every day and takes risk all over the place. He loves what he's doing. He believes in his cause. Um, and uh, yet they don't patent everything, right? He's pretty open source to the, to the, to the EV world. He feels that, hey, if, if you know, his goal is to electrify, the world with EVs and solar, let's say, um, on top of trying to colonize Mars, right? Pretty, pretty full plate. Um, and I really look at what he's doing and I think, you know, the best way to get to the market is to create a bigger market share. And when there's a bigger market share, there's more awareness and then more people accept it. You know, I think, um, I just think that there's a lot of business out there and Roofmax can't go get it all. I mean, I, I I really hope I'm a competitive person, so I hope we can stay Coca-Cola. I don't want to be Pepsi. I don't want to certainly be Seven Up in an industry that we've created. Um, but we have to work real hard to make that happen. Um, we're, we're not funded by you know private equity at this point. Um, you know, we don't have millions and millions and millions of dollars to put into marketing. But I think we're building it right. I think we're building a solid foundation of a company. Mm. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, one of the, the key tenets of becoming a dealer and maintaining your dealership is you have to take care of the customer. And we're really religious about that. And we have thousands and thousands of reviews, and we average 4.9 star rating across Google. That's almost non-existent in services. Hmm. It's extremely non-existent when you start talking about dealerships and franchises. You know, usually that happens under the regime of the owner-operator lives in that market in that, and, and he's there every day and he's holding all of his people accountable to customer service first. And we've been able to do that across our, all of our dealerships. And, um, and I think that's part and parcel because of the quality dealers that we have. Mm. Also, the simplicity of the product. Um, there's not a lot of you know, things that can go wrong when you're applying the product to the shingles. You just spray it on the roof and the product does the work. Um, so there's a number of factors that go into that and the scalability of, of roof rejuvenation
0: and and roof max as a whole. Well, Mike, you know, again, I think I've learned more about roofs in this 40 minutes than I have (laughs) my whole life. So I thank you for that. Um, what you're doing is not easy, right? If anyone would do it, if anyone could do it. Everyone would do it. Right. So Mike, this is the real, this this is the real leaders podcast. What's, what's keeping you up at night?
1: My worldview has changed a lot, right? I'm 50, 56 years old. You know, I come from the 80s, fast cars, bigger houses, you know, know, the oceans weren't dying. There was no discussion of sustainability or anything. It was just about, really about greed, right? Build a business, make money so you can live a better life. And I don't necessarily know if that's greed, right? We all want a better life. But the world has changed dramatically, Um, and again, I don't care which I know I know which side of the aisle people from real producers and people that are reading this or listening to this podcast—they're definitely on the side that hey, we have a problem, and we need to fix it. And I have slid more to that side of the aisle, but I'm also a conservative individual. I came from a small town outside of Columbus, Ohio, so I have a very conservative nature, and the older you get, you tend to get a little more conservative. I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on. From a roof max perspective and a rejuvenation perspective, it only makes sense. But what keeps me up at night is the divide that is happening, and we need to find more commonality than we do divide to solve anything. Because if if, if both sides are not talking, there can be no solution. And all I see is this divide that's becoming more and more and more, and that's. That would take 10 podcasts to have that conversation. It's very frustrating to me. Um, you know, I sit here in Puerto Rico. I live in Puerto Rico. And I, and I look at this island and how cohesive it is because we are on an island. And I, I feel like I've been brought back into the 80s and the 90s, mm. right? But if we don't solve this problem, I mean, the oceans have a problem. I walk the beach most every morning. Before I get my day going, and the amount of plastic and trash that is blown up just way, just brought up onto the beach daily is, is mind boggling. Hmm. And, um, you know, so, but I really am an optimist. And I think to be a business owner, you have to be an optimist to start anything like this. Um, and so I, I think that we're going to solve this, these problems. These are grand challenges. Ultimately, I think this is what brings humanity together um, into a common cause. And, um, you know, I'm happy to make our small dent in it, right, with RoofMax and, and, and to give opportunity to people and help people save money, help keep free out of landfills, the whole nine yards. So I've shifted a lot in my thinking. But I try to re- remain as optimistic as I can about the future because I don't think there's any other thing you can do. You, you, can't, uh, you can't dig a hole and hide. Mm. That's for sure.
0: Well, I think that's what a good leader does, right? A good leader build, builds a bridge. Right. To, to other yeah. individuals. So, so Mike, let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader?
1: I think a real leader is somebody who's not afraid to put themselves out there. This has been a much different experience for me because you know, I represent 280 individuals, uh, companies now versus a bunch of employees at my old company, putting yourself out there, being honest, when you make mistakes, owning up to, you don't know, you don't have all the answers, being as fair as you possibly can be while also being fair to the company and the whole, because you have to look at individual situations and and work with those individuals, maybe that are having a struggle in their business. I just think it's being kind of candid, raw, real, authentic. A lot of the stuff that I've seen so many CEOs in the U.S. have not been for so many decades. I think that, that it used to be Maybe social media and these podcasts have helped, but it used to be everything was so polished and scripted and controlled. Sure. Right. And it's not real. Right. You know, we all have warts, we all have our challenges. And I think we just, as long as you can remain true to that, and just that's a real leader, because we all have different skill sets, but just trying to be as honest and real as you can. And this has been a real eye opener for me, because trust me, I'm not always popular. Um, we make decisions at the corporate level that now affects 280 companies. But I try to sit down and explain the reason why. And, you know, and when we mess up and we do, we make mistakes. You just don't up to it and say, I'm sorry. You know, that was a bad one. And we shouldn't have done that. And we're going to try
0: to do better. Well, you know, you can't please everybody, right? <laughs> if you're going to run a business. Well said, Mike. Appreciate your time on the release Podcast today. From Mike Fiesel, I'm Kevin Edwards. Actually, go out there, be bold, be honest, and always, folks. Keep it real. Thanks, Mike.
1: Thanks for your time. Take care, Kevin.
0: Hey, leaders. Thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to realleaders.com today, you're gonna get the first 30 days for free where you're gonna be able to access all of our magazines, courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.